The Daily Tap is live for Monday, January 16th. We are back, baby, after a week off hiatus uh, due to a vacation. We are getting caught up on everything. We are going to do 10 minutes on the Packers, 10 minutes on the Bucks, 10 minutes on the Brewers, 10 minutes on college sports, Wisconsin and Marquette. Uh, Wisconsin football and Marquette basketball. Maybe touch a little bit on the other hoops in the, in the country. So maybe a little longer on that. And that'll be today's show. That'll be it. Uh, we'll talk more about uh, my time in Mexico. Do a little Mexico recap uh, tomorrow. Uh, I think that's where we'll slate that in. Uh, but yeah, it's going to be a great week. Uh, we're going to podcast for you Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. We'll be off Friday. Like I said, we're trying to scale back a little bit just to not be so repetitive, right? Just so you're basically not hearing the same shit. You're not hearing me over and over again say the same things about the Bucks, say the same things about the Packers. And we're kind of keeping that vibe going uh, and working in with when the teams are playing. So I we kind of structured it this week around that. So that's where you'll get the Monday show, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and then Friday. We will not have a show, but we will promote everything else on Friday. So if you missed the show before Friday, we are here for you. Okay. Before we get going, uh, we'll be back at it social media wise. Uh, whether you're following along on Twitter, uh, which is Tabby the Keg, or on TikTok or Instagram, Tabby the Keg Sports, on both of those channels, uh, we are also, uh, you know, on every podcast network you'll possibly be on, whether it's Apple, whether it's Spotify, wherever else you get your podcast, we are there. Uh, we are continuing to make strides in the new year. Uh, we are approaching 500 episodes for Tapping the Keg itself. Uh, so that is kind of the line of demarcation day. Once that hits, uh, changes will happen. Um, I just feel like it ha- it's a great point to say like, all right, we're going to change things up a little bit, do things up a little bit different, try some shit out before we get there. Right now we're at 492. So I was kind of doing the math when I was on the plane yesterday and I was like, all right, we're not going to get to the 500 episode until like early March, right before March Madness. I think that is a perfect time to sort of figure everything out, get our shit together and and do the damn thing. So I'm, I'm really excited about that. Um, any feedback or if you want to help out in any way, uh, please reach out. Uh, you can hit me up on Instagram at Tabbing the Keg Sports in the DMs there. Tabbing the Keg on Twitter. I think my DMs are open on Twitter. If they're not, uh, yap at me and I will make sure they are open. Uh, or if there's email. Um, right now, it's still a snow tap email. So I have 12 at gmail.com. But I am working to have Tabbing the Keg have its own email. Uh, so it's there, and I will let you guys know when I do have that secured so you can do email if, if need be. Uh, but yeah, great stuff, man. Really excited to keep keep this rolling and very excited to be back. Feel refreshed, feel recharged, feel re-energized. And while sports did not sleep when I was gone, uh, there was still a lot to talk about, and I'm excited to dive in uh, first with the Green Bay Packers. It's funny that we're starting with Packers because I I would argue they're probably more like hot topics with some of the other things we'll discuss here. But really where it came out with the Green Bay Packers after their loss to the Lions was everybody had an opinion on what to do with Aaron Rodgers. And everybody still has an opinion with what to do with Aaron Rodgers, right? Uh, I I think you could sit down at any bar in in Wisconsin, whether it's a small bar or it's a large bar, and if you just asked the people at the bar what their opinion was of Aaron Rodgers and Jordan Love, somebody is going to give it to you. I was sitting at a bar in Mexico watching the Jaguars come back 
from that collapse uh, from the San, uh, Los Angeles Chargers, not San Diego Chargers. Uh, and two guys from Sydney uh, were sitting there with me, and they were like, oh, yeah, we used to like Aaron Rodgers, but now we don't. Uh, he, I think they called him a cunt, uh, which is you know common practice here for uh, Australians. But yeah, everybody has a has an opinion. Everybody has like their thoughts on what to do with Aaron Rodgers. Personally, I I feel like Green Bay. We just need to wait. Like we just need to like chill out. Like we all just need to take one big fucking step back. And I understand that is extremely hard to do in the first take society in sort of this hot take world where everybody wants to have an opinion. Everybody wants to be right. Everybody wants to sort of create their own content. I realize that I'm talking to myself a little. It's a little meta, right? I hope I hope you get that. But it's true because like we do not know what's coming up, right? Green Bay could rework contracts where all of a sudden Aaron Rodgers' contract's feasible. Aaron Rodgers himself could restructure his deal where basically it frees up cap space and it it basically creates a path to basically Green Bay getting out of this deal. You do not know what is upcoming, right? We have a long way to go till the start of the NFL new year, which is in March. There will be rumors swirling and I, I'm very keen on this in the NBA, but it bears repeating in the NFL. You have to know who to trust, right? You have to know who is sourced out. I've went over this before, but I'll, I'll go over it again with you guys. Adam Schefter is a big agent guy. I think Rappaport is pretty close to the Packers. I think Jay Glazer is important to Packers. Jay Glazer doesn't break as many stories as he used to, which God bless Jay Glazer, right? He's really a great mental health advocate and he's spending more time in that space and doing more with mental health, less with like breaking stories. And I think that's perfectly okay. Like, and also the MMA training that he does as well. So I think Jay Glazer, you know, is, is not as much of a newsbreaker as he used to be. Uh, but he used to be very tied in with the Packers. I don't know if that's still the case. But yes, those guys, I think you look at Florio. I think Florio has an agenda against the Packers. Uh, I would love to ask Mike. I don't think he would ever do an interview with me because I've chirped him on Twitter way too many times for him to probably like me or want to give me the time of day, which I understand. And I, I get that, right? And I think if I had asked him, I'd tell him, like, hey, I've been very critical of you. But I'd love to know from your perspective if you don't think you have a Packer bias. Because he does. He's a Vikings fan. Right, and that's that just goes into his work. I'm sorry, I can't shake it. It's it's hard. The evidence against him is, I think, overflowing. Right, it's like Jeff Goldblum looking at the pile of shit in Jurassic Park. That's Mike Florio and his Packer bias, in my opinion. So, anyways, you just have to know what's true and what's not, and not hang on every word. Like Mark Schleyer, who said like right, before, I think it was what three weeks ago now, was like. Oh, I know because I was interviewing these guys. This is Aaron Rodgers last year, and they're ready to move on for I mean, how the fuck do you know, dude? You thought that the Packers were gonna trade for trade Rodgers in last draft, the NFL draft in 2021 to Denver. Didn't happen, right? So I think where I stand right now is I, I I'm at peace with every possible decision. I really am, and I, I know that is a middleman, and I should have a I should have a strong fucking take on it and maybe they'll get stronger as the off season goes on. But right now I look at it and I say, all right, if Aaron Rodgers comes back and Jordan Love decides to hang on for one more year and the Packers have control of Jordan Love, that's the thing that people don't get. Like Jordan Love can pout, Jordan Love can be as mad as he fucking wants, but Green Bay could essentially control Jordan Love till I believe 2027, right? 
They have a franchise tag that they can add after that five-year extension. They can keep doing franchising. Like, they could control Jordan Love till as long as they fucking want. And I know that would drive him crazy. I know that would spit in the face of player empowerment. But facts are facts, right? So you have that part of it. And if you kept Rodgers and Love stayed happy and it was a one last dance for Rodgers is, is truly what I think is possible. Like, I truly believe there is a last dance potential on the table for one more ride with Rodgers, similar to 2007 in the Green Bay Packers, where they went on a run. Brett Favre would have been the MVP in any other year that Tom Brady didn't go absolutely nuts with him and Randy Moss. And you could argue Randy Moss could have been the MVP that year. We don't need to, we don't need to discuss that. I mean, that's a debate from... From 2007, I was in high school at the time. But it, it that to me is the last, actually I was in college. Uh, but that is the sort of parallel that, that exists. And it's one more year Rodgers, whether he retires or he decides to move on, play somewhere else. You, I just do not know if you can judge Aaron Rodgers this season with the thumb injury. So I'm content if that happens. I'm also very content if the Packers decide to trade Aaron Rodgers, go with Jordan Love and vault ourselves into the future. Now, I think Pack fans would have to change their expectations, which is something I don't think they're ready for. I don't think they are ready for that conversation of, all right, if Jordan loves our quarterback, we cannot expect the Super Bowl, right? We can hope it, but we that then it becomes like, hey, maybe we'll win the division. Maybe we'll do this. Like, it, it goes back to how we kind of approached 20, 2008 and how Aaron Rodgers kind of had a bad rap from fans. Fans hated Rodgers at the get-go because he wasn't Brett Favre. He didn't close out big games. Although people forgot in that in that moment that how bad the defense was and how many times the defense let him down. And that was really the, the problem for Green Bay. And then Green Bay, Rodgers kind of ascends to the top. That's kind of how we'd have to treat Jordan Love. Maybe the timeline's a little shorter because Love spent, I think, more time than Rodgers. But still, like we'd have to approach that very differently. And then if they trade Jordan Love... I think that's, we have to assume that the Packers believe Jordan Love is either Matt Schaub or Jimmy G. Because those are the two examples we have where they've traded backup quarterbacks because they did not believe those guys were good enough. And in the end, Atlanta was proven right. I think New England has been proven right. Uh, I, I think that would be a scenario where we'd say, all right, that's how they see Jordan Love. And if they're wrong, it's an all-time blunder. It just is. And I can still defend the first round pick. I can still defend all the stuff they did. But I also could say, hey, we move on from love because the draft class in 2024 for quarterbacks could be all time. And if CJ Stroud stays, which we do not know at the time, there are rumors of it now. Um, so we'll have to see. And if Stroud does, in fact, come back, I mean, that changes everything about the quarterback draft for next year. Um, and basically gives this opportunity to even further the point of you could move on from love with the potential that a quarterback's there in round one or in round two uh, and better than maybe the class this year as well as Jordan Love himself and then you reset the five years and you get this opportunity to build with that next guy we'll, we'll just have to see um, it'll be very interesting all right one thing I want to do quickly, and I'm already violating my 10-minute rule. I know I'm going to go over, uh, so maybe I'll make it up with whether it's the Brewers or the Bucks. But I, I kind of wanted to think about how each how it would feel if basically I was this playoff team. So obviously the Packers are out. How would I feel? We'll just do the NFC. Maybe we'll do the AFC if there's time. 
uh, you'll get it. So, like, if, I, if we were Seahawks fans right now, if the Packers lost like the Seahawks did, and some people believe they would have. So that's basically it. Or if we, the Niners were the Packers right now, this it, it, it sounded better in theory, but we'll, we'll just try. We'll just try this. If it sucks, it sucks. But here we go. So if we were the Seahawks right now, and would the Packers have ended up in a similar fate as the Seattle Seahawks? I, I don't think so. I, I really think the Packers' defense is better than Seattle's. Uh, I know Seattle, San Francisco basically you know demolished them in the second half, and you could argue the biggest winners of the first two days are San Francisco and New York, um, and that they really you know are sky high at this point. Uh, but with San Francisco themselves, I, I do think they were a juggernaut. They really bowled over, and Seattle did not look like a playoff team. I think Green Bay would have given them much more of a fight. I mean, Seattle was in this game for a half, right? They, as Bill Simmons noted, they they were a good six innings, and it was seventeen to sixteen. This game was close, and then Seattle and then San Francisco just turned it on, and Seattle made some mistakes and things like that. I think Green Bay's defense would have given Brock Purdy a little more trouble and they would have been able to maybe force some turnovers out of him, especially early on when the jitters were there. And maybe the Packers established more of a lead and let Brock Purdy try to beat them. I just think Green Bay would have given San Francisco a better game. I don't know if they would have won. Uh, I just think it would have been closer. I, so I do not think that they were to see. I think Seahawks fans today are probably thinking, well, we weren't going to be here, right? We thought we were going to tank this year. We thought we were going to be one of the worst teams in football, and we made the playoffs. I think there, Pete Carroll would probably be in the coach of the year running if it wasn't for the job Brian Dable did. But yeah, I think this morning waking up, Seattle Seahawks fans are feeling okay. And I think if this is next year with Jordan Love, I think I would probably feel the exact same way as Seahawks fans do today. As for the Giants, I think the Giants are sky high, right? Everybody's like, this team is you know back. Daniel Jones, best quarterback of the weekend. Uh, looked great. Dan Jones now probably going to get paid uh, similarly with the Joe Flacco year where Flacco, you know, basically took the Ravens to the Super Bowl. Everyone was unsure about Joe Flacco if he deserved the money and then he gets the money and he really wasn't worth it, right? It was just one amazing sort of playoffs where Joe Flacco became, you know, a top tier quarterback and then and the elite conversation seemed to be over. But in reality, they they had to pay him, right? You couldn't just be like, all right, we're not going to pay Joe Flacco. It'd be an awful message to send. But Joe Flacco probably didn't deserve that contract in retrospect. So as for Daniel Jones, though, I think you've seen it all year, right? You can make a case Daniel Jones is comeback player of the year. Uh, I don't think he'll get it. I think it's Geno Smith's probably going to get it. But I, I, I do think Daniel Jones and the work that Brian Dable did has been incredible. Turning him into basically a version of Josh Allen and not necessarily has the arm strength but the ability to run the football, the ability to pass. Dan Jones is a really fucking good quarterback right now. And the Giants should feel good about where they are. And if you're a Giants fan, you just have to feel like the sky's the limit, right? You're going to be a Super Bowl contender next year. The Eagles thing is so house money, it, it hurts, right? You are in a perfect position to potentially blow off an upset, but you don't really need to. You've kind of peaked where you need to be. And just as long as they take care of Daniel Jones and he doesn't use this against you, which I don't think he will, I think you are sitting very pretty. As for Minnesota, if I was a Minnesota fan right now, I'd, I'd be pretty butthurt, right? I'd be pretty annoyed that everybody said we were frauds, everybody thought we were frauds, and we're getting laughed at as frauds. And we were exactly who they thought they were. The Dennis Green clip plays so well for Minnesota. I think that this was one of the luckier football teams that we saw in sports. And not just in football, but 
in sports, 11-0 in one-score one games. And you could argue that maybe Minnesota needed a couple more losses to not not trust their own shit, right? They kind of smelled their own shit. They were like, all right, we this makes sense. Like We can just figure this out. The Justin Jefferson collapse at the end of the season, the Jair Alexander basically put him in a mental pretzel and he never got out of it. And Justin Jefferson was terrible to end the year and Packers unleashed a blueprint on Justin Jefferson. And I think Jair deserves a ton of credit for that. I know he made second team all pro. We didn't really talk about him and Keyshawn Nixon as all pros. That was something else we missed. So I look at it and you have to be annoyed if you're a Vikings fan that everything that you worried about came true. And I think there's a lot of soul searching. You have to look and, and make sure that the depth of the offensive line is there. Uh, Dexter Lawrence was part of the reason why the Vikings lost this game. He absolutely wrecked this football game from an interior line perspective. They have to make sure that they are deep enough at that position. They also have to clean up the defense, whether that means that downhill's out of a, foot, out of a job. Uh, I think, honestly, that's like real talk. If they fire at downhill and the Packers keep Joe Barry, that is a major loss for the Green Bay Packers. Because Kevin O'Connell, similar from the Matt LaFleur trade, he gets somebody in, whether it is <coughs> whether it is someone such as Brandon Staley if he gets fired, which I don't think he will, um, or Vic Fangio. It could be an all-time sort of disaster for Packer fans if they decide to stay with Joe Barry, which is what's been rumored. We'll see if that holds true, uh, given all the news and everything else around it. But... I take great joy in the Vikings losing. And I know that's loser behavior, but fact of the matter is, is the Vikings have done this for us for years and it's our turn. And the fact that we get to enjoy their tears is special. And they didn't even have the Minnesota miracle, which was the last time Packers missed the playoffs. Minnesota gets the miracle play. Everybody's hyped about it. Then they get lose by fucking 30 to Philadelphia. I don't know if I would have rather had them lose by 30 to San Francisco next week. But yeah, Kirk Cousins now won four in playoffs and just kind of are who you are and he just cannot seem to deliver in the big moment and the check down in on fourth down is basically porn to i think every packer fan so yeah san francisco so we will see about dallas and tampa um we'll talk maybe a little bit about it tomorrow on tomorrow's show i think the afc i i think if you're cincinnati you have to wonder if you're just you don't have enough bodies uh to compete i think for buffalo you could argue they needed that i think the undisciplined nature of the Bills makes you wonder if this team can actually get to the final destination, which is the championship. The Jaguars comeback is all time. Jaguars are kind of in a similar position as the Giants where they're in a house money spot against the Chiefs. No one's going to expect them to win. No one's going to think they have a chance. They can go out and just fucking ball and just let it all hang out. And next year, they'll probably be a Super Bowl contender, just like the Giants will be. And they have a long, bright future ahead of them. And I think you have to be just thrilled if you're a Jags fan that you've been able to turn it around this quickly. And then if you're Chargers, I mean, this is the Chargers legacy. Chargers have been a collapsing football team. They have never been able to live up to the big moment. Chargering became a thing. Uh, I think it's replaced Clemsoning, and they, they had a full Charger. And when they were up 27 to nothing, and I was kind of bragging, I bet my sister-in-law's boyfriend that 20 bucks on the Chargers game when we were in Mexico and we were at like this beach party thing. I showed him the score and everything else. And I was like, oh my God, like this is great. And then I think I saw like a pro football talk, like they do updates throughout the day and they were like 27 to 14. I'm like, fuck, they're going to come back here, aren't they? And then we were able, I was able to watch the second half and it shows 
probably unwisely to stay up and watch the game. And I had like a 5 a.m. get up call, but I was like, I'm not missing this. Like I, there's no way I'm going to bed. My wife wasn't feeling well. So I like, I was by myself. And so I had no like pressure to get upstairs. If my wife was there, I think I would have had to turn it on in the room, which would have annoyed her even more. But I, I, I think that was just a blessing from the football gods. I was able to watch most of that second half and just an incredible comeback by Jacksonville and an absolute collapse by the Chargers. It seems like the Chargers are trying to keep Staley. Uh, it seems like the players are really trying to rally around him. That Staley should stay. Uh, we'll just have to see. I, I think that maybe Joe Lombardi is the guy that goes. Maybe they get a defensive coordinator uh, and let, let Staley kind of think less, do less. We'll have to see. Um, but yeah, i very curious to see where that all sort of falls out with the Chargers. All right, that was more of an NFL playoff recap. Uh, it was not kind of the segment that I, I, I felt it could be. That's okay. Uh, it happens. I apologize. I did want to talk about the playoffs. I, this wasn't necessarily the time and place. I probably should have waited until tomorrow when I had uh, more time, but that's here nor there. All right, let's move back to Wisconsin sports. Let's talk a little bit about the Bucs last week. Uh, the Bucs have, uh, you know, they they had a weird week, right? They're two and two on a road trip, which is totally fine. I, I think you look at that road trip, you're like, you're New York, Atlanta, Miami twice. Those are four playoff teams. You're like, okay, two and two road trip, totally cool. And you did it without Giannis. Giannis didn't play in two of those games, but it, it does start to feel like the Bucs are content with being the two to, two to four seed. And we'll have to get Mitch's opinion on this. And I think it's a colossal mistake by the Milwaukee Bucks that they are not going after the one seed and that they are not trying to make a move and trying to make a push towards the one seed. I think they are really screwing up right now. I, I, I do not think that is the route to go. I think we saw game seven in Boston. The crowd played a factor in that game where... I know Giannis was out of gas. I know that the Bucs could have got it done in, in game six, but they needed that home crowd. They needed the, the energy of the home crowd to kind of lift Giannis's legs. And the fact that they did not have it hurt them greatly. And if the Bucs really want to fuck around and do this thing again and get the three seed or heaven forbid the four seed and just not care, I think that is a bad way to do basketball. Now, maybe once everybody's healthy and Chris Milton again missing a game on Monday, there were some murmurs that he could be back for Monday's game. He is not back for Monday's game. We'll see if he'll be back for the back-to-back against Toronto on Tuesday night. It'd be great to have Middleton back in the mix. Maybe once everybody's back, they make that push, they rattle off 10 straight, and, they, and everything's fine. And they are then competing for that one seed. But right now, it feels like the Bucs are perfectly okay with the two to four. I do like also recognize the fact that Giannis is completely exhausted out there. Giannis's numbers have been terrible, whether it was the lethal shooter effect, whether it's the fact that his usage numbers are way up. It has not been a great year for Giannis outside of the paint. He's still doing great things, right? He had seven points against the Atlanta Hawks, but he also had 18 rebounds and 12 assists. He had a double-double without scoring 10 points. Like that... That's incredible. I don't think you see anybody doing that. Like, I don't think Jokic does that. I don't think LeBron does that. That is something kind of Giannis one-of-one type shit. And so I appreciate that from Antetokounmpo as well. Like, I, I really do. And I personally think the Bucs are going to be okay. It's just still this muddled weirdness that we've seen now for, I don't know. It's been over, it's really been over a month. And this was a, this week was no different. And I don't know when the Bucks are going to kind of change and kind of turn that corner. 
because you look at it and you say, all right, Monday night, you go into New York. New York's not played that well at home. You get down 17. It looks like, oh shit, here we go. Bucks are going to lose again. And they had lost to Charlotte in that embarrassing fashion on Friday night. They come back. They win that game. They get off the mat. Drew Holiday is excellent in the, at the end of that game. And you're like, all right, maybe this is the turning point. Maybe this is when the championship DVD starts. Then Wednesday night, kind of similar. You get out to this hot lead. You're red hot. You're up 24 points. Vibes are high. Everything is looking good. And then it comes crashing down for the Bucks in the second half. And they need to get bailed out by whether it was a little bit of Drew Holiday. It was a little bit of Brooke Lopez. It was a little bit of Javon Carter. And they found a way to win and pull back away and beat the Hawks by nine points. But that game was a lot closer than the fit, than what it looked like, right? It was like it, that thing got really tight. And the Hawks could have pulled that one out of their ass. And that would have been yet another bad Bucks loss. But they found a way to win. But they punted now the two games against Miami. And they everybody missed the game. They shot a bunch of threes and kept themselves in it on Thursday night. And then on Saturday, they just, ran again, ran out of gas. They scored 95 points. This offense, man, has to some point figure themselves out. And I don't know when it's coming. And I think with Drew and Giannis, and they're both playing today against Indiana, I think that's going to help. I think that's going to contribute. And you'll start seeing more of that. But at some point, Giannis has to bring it all together. And maybe once Middleton's back, it's going to be there. But I have to believe Giannis is frustrated with how long it's taken Middleton. And just the fact that he is carrying this team night in, night out. And there, need, there just needs to be more from whether it's the role players, whether it's Middleton. I, I, really, I really hope this breather, this sort of five-day off, four-day off for Giannis Antetokounmpo really sort of sets him straight and the Bucs can make a push here to the All-Star break. I, I really don't want any more rest games. I'm done with rest games. I don't think you should rest until the All-Star break. I think this is the last sprint. I can understand people might feel differently, but I want to sprint to that finish line. I want to sprint to getting to the final, the final stages of this playoffs, or not of the playoffs, of the regular season, and then get yourself ready for the playoffs. I will say one of the good positives is that Javon Carter might have found a shot again. He was good in the Atlanta game. He was good in both the Miami games. So maybe Javon Carter is turning the corner with his offense. He was really garbage for about a month. So maybe Javon Carter has kind of found something again. That would be really great for the Bucs. I think the Bucs desperately need someone else to step up. Grayson Allen has been terrible. Pat Connaughton had a, had a good moment on, I think it was Thursday night. Or no, was it? He had a good, he had a, he had a decent road trip, right? There were some moments for Pat. I don't think it was all great, but he had some moments in those in those games as well. So I I just really kind of hope the Bucks turn this corner at some point and really sort of find it. And I'm just worried it's never going to happen. And I, I said that a couple weeks ago with Mitch, and Mitch was still kind of like, well, maybe it's just it's very sort of it's very sort of eerie that we haven't seen it yet, and we're already halfway through the season. But it's been a weird NBA year, right? Uh, the Warriors, every time you think the Warriors have sort of figured it out, they go and lose a dumb game. Like last night, they gave up 132 points to the Chicago Bulls, who did not have DeMar DeRozan. So how can the Warriors feel good? Like, I guess 
And maybe this is a conversation, more of an evergreen conversation with Mitch uh, later this week, but is anyone in the NBA actually happy with their situation right now and their team? And I, I don't know if that's the case. And we'll talk a lot more about the Bucks this week. Um, and hopefully Chris Middleton comes back. Hopefully we can have that conversation and where sort of we put our expectations with this Bucks team. But right now they're sitting in the third spot, but it is really, really tight in terms of that race. And I realize that, Every week's going to look different. Teams are going to get hot. Teams are going to get cold. But I, I just do not want the Bucks to put themselves in a situation where either they don't have home court for two, you know, the whole playoffs. If, if they don't have home court for the whole playoffs, it's going to be really, really tough for the Bucks to win a championship, just flat out. And that, I mean, that's on the table, right? You have to, you have to wonder. And they're sixteen and five at home. That's the other thing. Like they're playing really well at home, and so you can't can't kind of deny that and they get a lot of home games here upcoming which is great uh you have you know indiana toronto you have a quick road trip to cleveland and detroit then you're back home to play denver home for indiana and then home new orleans charlotte la miami so really a lot of home games here let's let's do the count here one two three four five six seven yeah the next 10 games seven of them are at home you have to take advantage in this stretch before then doing a quick west coast road trip and that and a really a sprint to the finish line before the all-star game kicks in the high gear and then you have that nice week off but as for the standings as we sit today the bucks are four and a half back from the boston celtics they are tied with the philadelphia 76ers for that three seed uh the cleveland cavaliers are only a half game back of the milwaukee bucks the new york knicks at the sixth spot are only seven games back from the Milwaukee Bucks. So, or I'm sorry, they're seven back from the Celtics. They're only three and a half back from, from the Bucks. So that's, oh no, yeah, they're two and a half back. So yeah, there's no room for error right now if you're Milwaukee and they need to they need to kind of push here. And this is a, it's a good time for to see a, a little bit of a Bucks run, if you will, and rebuild some of that Bucks lust. Moving on to the Milwaukee Brewers. The Milwaukee Brewers had arbitration week. Uh, they got a lot of deals done. Um, they are not heading to any sort of meetings except for the Cor Corbin Burns one, which I do not know if they're officially at a meeting status with Corbin Burns. I do not know if that's that's the case. I know that they are disagreeing on about a 700K uh, split. It's nice of them to take care of most of those guys, right? Uh, Adamas, uh, Brandon Woodruff, Roddy Telez, Kastin Kura. Uh, I mean, there, there's a lot there that the Brewers, the Brewers took care of business with. And I, I do think that deserves to be championed. Uh, it's not easy to figure out all this money stuff. And arbitration is an extremely funky thing. It's something that I, I don't exactly like in baseball. I really don't understand why Corbin Burns and the Brewers couldn't figure out 700K. And of course, Brewer fans are like, oh, Marquez is being cheap, he's being cheap. And Adam McAlvey's like, hey, this is just business. I, I like can see both sides of it, right? Like, and I know again, going back to our Packer take earlier, like that's not how you do podcasts. You need to, you need a take, like you need to be mad or you need to be, you know, carrying the water. But honestly, I can see both sides. I can see being upset because it's like it's seven hundred thousand dollars. Like that is nothing. I don't. I think that is below the minimum veteran salary. Like I, I feel like you should be able to figure that out. I feel like you just meet in the fucking middle and you're like, all right, there you go. We settled it. You you got some more. We got some less. Like we're good to go. Like number one. And then number two, it's like okay, yeah, he's a he's the best player 
one of the best pitchers on the team, one of the best pitchers in baseball, like just pay the fucking guy his money and don't even worry about it. And then you're done and your hands are clean. But then I also look at like Max Freed. Braves and Freed have not been able to come to any sort of agreement the last two years. They've been way far apart, farther apart than the Brewers have been. So then I wonder like, okay, is this just how it's done? Like the Braves are probably a model franchise. I think we'd want to, we'd love to be like the Braves. We're signing all our guys. We're, they're team-friendly deals. Like the Braves model is exactly how I think the Brewers should try to build their team if they really believe they have that talented of a roster. I'm not convinced that that roster is a 90 to 95 win team. I still think they need to do more. I hope they do more. Um, I think you're trusting on a lot of the youth movement and you've kind of swung the spectrum a little bit too far in my opinion, uh, where I thought the Brewers should have been a little bit more youth movement focused last year. Now I think like you're a little, you're leaning a little too far into it, but that's another conversation for another time once we see the roster settled. I think people getting all excited about the, the Cubs and coming themselves, the Cubs signed a bunch of free agents is ridiculous because I don't, I don't think those guys are an 85, 90 win team. Like Eric Hosmer, congratulations. Eric Hosmer has been good for a few years. He has a hot wife, that's it. Um, and you have like Tucker Barnhart, great, like whatever. He'll hit great against the Brewers, but do nothing against anybody else. Jameson Tyon is a gas can, you know, when he wants to be. He's not a ace level pitcher. Danzy Swanson is a good player, but I don't think Danzy Swanson is worth the money that he's worth. And Danzy Swanson only is on Chicago because his wife plays for the, the soccer team. So whatever. Here nor there. <laughs> I just had to get that out because I know people are going to compare the Brewers to the Cubs and I'm just getting ahead of it now because I, I really don't think that Cubs team has what it takes to be a playoff contender. Although I do think a lot of team people are going to slate the Cubs into that. But back to Corbin Burns, I, I truly think that it's not going to turn into a Josh Hader situation. I, I think the Josh Hader thing was unique. I, I, don't, I wouldn't say it's one of one, but remember, with Josh Hader, the, the issue was Josh Hader thought of himself as a closer. The Brewers did not think of Josh Hader as a closer. The Brewers didn't, Brewers didn't really want Josh Hader to be a closer. They wanted Josh Hader to be a multi-inning guy. And Josh Hader was like, fuck that. I'm not being that. I want to be paid like a closer. I think the Brewers learned a lot of lessons with Josh Hader. I think they took care of Devin Williams right away, right? They didn't even have arbitration. They took care of Devin Williams. They paid Devin Williams pretty handsomely. They paid him like a closer, and that's how they're they're approaching Devin Williams. They really should have approached Josh Hader the same way. I think you could look at that and say you learned your lesson. I think with Corbin Burns, the thing is, is I think they value Brandon Woodruff a little bit more, and I don't really disagree with that. And I know that sounds crazy, but there is a world where Corbin Burns peaked in the, his Cy Young year. And we saw the best version of Corbin Burns. I realized Corbin Burns was good last year. I, I truly get that. But I think when you see what Brandon Woodruff continually does, start in, start out, and one of the best big game pitchers, I think, in baseball. Very underrated in terms of that category. But I think there is nobody I want with the ball more than Brandon Woodruff in a game seven, in a win-or-go-home win situation. More so than Corbin Burns. I, I really do. And maybe that's how the Brewers feel. And I realize I'm just one guy with a podcast. And it's not how I think a lot of fans think. I think there, Burns is revered. I think Burns is one of the faces of this franchise. Even though he's not like very marketable. Uh, he doesn't do a lot of media and things like that. And I think he should do more if I was... You know, Corbin Burns' agent, or I was Corbin Burns, like I was a Brian Lammy, if you will, I would have told him, like, hey, you need to be out there because a lot of people love you. And maybe Corbin Burns doesn't give a shit, but that's how I would how I would approach it, right? And 
I just, I, I really, truly, I really, truly think that they they will find it and settle before before we get to the hearing. I would love that for the Brewers. I, I just, I don't want it to get sloppy, but I also don't think it's going to turn into a Josh Hader situation because the Brewers know he's an ace, and maybe the Brewers want to get there, get the value. Maybe this was intentional. This that's the other thing, right? And I know this is like, okay, here he goes carrying the water. But no, like let's just let's just play this out in our head. Let's just figure this out a little bit. Why would the Brewers want to do this? Why would the Brewers want to get messy with Corbin Burns? Maybe they want to hear Corbin Burns' value. Maybe they they have a vision of what they think they need to pay Corbin Burns, and maybe the arbiter is like, hey, no, Corbin Burns is worth twelve million dollars. And if Corbin Burns' value chart is actually more than what the Brewers are projecting, the Brewers then say, all right. If we suck this year and Corbin Burns could get traded in the middle of the year, which I think would be on the table if the Brewers do not have a good first half of the year, and I think you would get a ton of value for Corbin Burns in the middle of the season because he adds to playoff roster, a playoff team, and it goes through the roof. Maybe that's what they're doing. Maybe that's part of this, right? Maybe they need they don't know what their projections or they're just there's some disagreements with whether it's Ananasio, Matt Arnold, what David Stearns previously had. Maybe that's part of this. And maybe that's what they're kind of fact-finding and trying to get more information and want a you know a guy who is uh, third party, if you will, of Switzerland to decide this for you. So I'm very curious to see how this all, all tails out. I don't think this is going to hurt the clubhouse or anything like that. I do think they understand it's part of it. You know, maybe Arnold has had contact with Burns and said, hey, look, we just kind of want to see what your number is. This isn't going to be nasty. We're not, we're going to explain where we're at. We really just want to see where it is. And then we can start talking to you about an extension. If they could figure out, and I might've already said this, but bears repeating, if they could figure out a Woodruff extension, an Adamas extension, or Burns extension, if they could get all three, it'd be amazing. I doubt that. But if they were able to get at least two out of those three in the next couple of days, that's a huge win on the offseason. The Brewers have basically protected that core. And you add Christian Yelich, and Trio is coming, maybe not next year, but year after. And Trio is going to be a stud. And so you have sort of this young nucleus that you have started. And that would be really great for the Brewers. And if you maybe even could convince Devin Williams to have a team-friendly closer deal. I don't think you want to pay Devin Williams more than four years, $40 million. That would probably be my value chart for Devin Williams. But, I don't, and I don't know if he'll do that, right? Edwin Diaz got massively paid. Josh Haders, I think in his last year of arbitration, he just got $14 million, uh, which is crazy, uh, from San Diego. And I think Josh Hader will get paid in a similar fashion. I don't think it will be by San Diego, by the way. Uh, just not mark that down. I, I don't think Josh Hader will get paid by San Diego. I think some team will come over the top and desperately play Josh Hader, you know, an insane amount of money. And he'll probably get a similar contract to Diaz. And so maybe Devin Williams holds out for that. And they don't want to do that. But there's a world where maybe they maybe they look at Devin Williams as a potential extension. And again, to that young nucleus. And you can sell that. In my opinion, you can sell that. If you have, say, all right, yeah, we didn't get a ton of free agents. We didn't do a ton of work. But we were able to take care of Adonis. We were able to take care of Woodruff. Maybe we're taking care of Devin Williams. Not, not Corbin Burns. We'll figure out the Corbin Burns stuff. Yeah, we're probably not going to be able to keep Corbin Burns. That's a harsh reality of baseball. But we were able to take care of X, Y, and Z. Maybe that makes Brewer fans content. But that goes back to my whole thing about the spoiled conversation about how just Brewer fans never seem happy anymore. And maybe maybe it doesn't work. But I, I think that a lot of Brewer fans should be fucking happy if they're able to take care of all those guys or take care of a lot of those. 
All right, let's wrap up with college sports and with Wisconsin football and then Marquette basketball. I realize that's – we'll talk a little bit more about college basketball too. We'll, we'll kind of have a break there. I mean, college sport, uh, football, Wisconsin, fuck. Luke Fickle building an absolute monster right now. I just look at that Wisconsin Badger football team right now and I, I the expectations have soared. They've skyrocketed, right, uh, because of all the things – that Fickle is doing. The C.J. Williams ad this week from the transfer portal, the four-star wide receiver out of USC coming to the Badgers, wanting to be part of this narrative-shifting you know, Wisconsin moment is incredible. Uh, it's a guy that the Badgers would have never been able to bring in, and C.J. Williams is part of this story. And Bryson Green from Oklahoma State, another four-star wide receiver. They also added a three-star wide receiver from Cincinnati, Will Paulding. The Badgers are building this huge structure of the next generation of Wisconsin football. This Wisconsin football that has not been seen in 20 years, really since Barry Alvarez. And we talked about it on one of the Tapping the Kegs about how Luke Fickle is akin to Mike Budenholzer. And just this change of culture, this change of momentum in where the program has been and taking it to the next level. And that is exactly what Luke Fickle is doing. And it's not just the wide receiver in the sexy positions either. Like they've added two offensive linemen from Cincinnati who seem like absolute dogs. They added a kicker from Ohio who was very clutch in the bowl game. And they haven't had a, I feel like they haven't had a good kicker since Raphael Gaglioni. Like, and he wasn't even that good. Fat Rafa wasn't even that good, but he was a good enough kicker. They haven't had a good kicker in forever. So they had a kicker in the transfer portal. They added an edge rusher from Michigan State who had some injuries, but like his size is beautiful, right? You look at it, you're like 6'5, 250. Like that's a, that's a fucking great size for an edge rusher. They had a D2 awesome coach from Grand Valley State. They're bringing him now in to be the special teams coordinator and also help out a little bit on defense. Like they're making move after move to just help further this program. And I asked some friends middle of the week and probably would have been a topic if we had the podcast, but does it almost make you mad as a Badger fan that Paul Chris could have done this stuff? Paul Chris could have made this happen and made this work. And they basically said, and they're diehards, they're bigger fans than I'll ever be, said like, no, we're not mad at Paul Chris because Paul Chris took it to the basically where it could be, right? He took it to that, that peak and then he didn't adjust for the change. Change happened and Paul Chris wanted to keep, keep on the path. And the path changed and Paul Chris wasn't ready for that. And... Whether that was the Badgers not doing a good enough job of coaching Paul Christ on it or if Paul Christ was resistance against it, I think that will be a story for another time, maybe a book written, if you will, of what sort of changed in the Wisconsin program. I think that that's a, another story for another day. And I'm willing to acknowledge that. I think the NIL happened so fast and furious and Paul Christ didn't really seem like a guy that was going to be all in on it and he, he really wasn't. And so, yeah, maybe there was more needed from Paul Crest, but yes, I, I truly, truly believe that Wisconsin is on the path to success. And I saw some stuff about how who would be the next TCU, right? TCU was five and seven. Yes, they got Molly Wapped in the, in the national championship game. One of the most embarrassing losses a, a team has suffered in a long time, uh, whether it's Super Bowl or college football or basketball. Like this is one of the worst losses in a championship game that you'll ever see. That said. It's an amazing year for TCU. They went from five and seven to in being in the national championship game. So people ask, well, what about Wisconsin? 
And you have to consider it. You can't ignore it. The big t- you're going to have the Big Ten West for one more year. Whether they're going to get rid of the conferences in the next year when UCLA and USC come, they probably will. I have to believe that. Uh, they're, or they're going to look different for that matter. I still look at it and say Wisconsin can rule the Big Ten West and have a legitimate shot against Ohio State or Michigan. Yes, C.J. Stroud coming back. Michigan has brought a bunch of guys back. They had a collective, basically a crowdfunding effort to bring all these guys back. It was Blake Corum. It was a wide receiver. It was an offensive lineman. Uh, Apologies, I don't have the names on me. Um, I'm not that deep in the college football world. But yes, it's not going to be easy. Uh, The climb is, is going to be challenging. But still, Wisconsin's going to have that ability, have that capability to essentially get to get to the top and, and be in that national championship conversation if things go right. I understand it's a brand new offense. I, I fully get that. I get it's a brand. It could be a brand. It's, yeah, brand new defense too. I get there are a lot of moving parts. But there's enough time before Wisconsin plays Ohio State for them to figure their shit out. And I, the game against Washington State is a huge line of demarcation game. It's a similar conversation we had about Washington State last year. They have a lot of change. They lost a lot of guys to the transfer portal. So is it, it will Washington State be able to bounce right back? And it is at home. That helps Washington State. <laughs> that helps Washington State. But yes, I, I truly think that Wisconsin could be another version of TCU and really feel like that is on the table for the Badgers. And they have, they just have a lot of talent to really sort of ascend to the top. It's just a question of, are you able to break through against Ohio State or Michigan? And if you do beat Ohio State in Camp Randall, which will likely be a primetime game, I think it's Halloween weekend, are you able to beat them again if, the, if that's where the rubber meets the road and Ohio State beats Michigan and Ohio State's the Big Ten East representative, are you able to beat them again in the Big Ten title game? I, I don't know. And that's a conversation when we're doing podcasts in the fall. Let's move on to college basketball. Real quick, just to interrupt Make sure you're following along on social, tapping the keg on Twitter, tapping the keg sports on Instagram and TikTok. We're going to try to do more podcast and and uh, content creation sort of melded together. Um, definitely need to do more of that. And we're going to try as, as we continue on this year. So let's talk a little bit about Marquette basketball. And I realize Wisconsin Marquette, they don't get along. I could easily go into Wisconsin basketball. I don't have a ton for you. Um, I don't care. Honestly, as much about Wisconsin basketball. We'll touch on him here in a second. But yeah, with Marquette, really good week. I realize they lost to Xavier yesterday, but that's not that bad of a loss to Xavier, right? Um, it, it's it's a really tough place to win. Xavier is very good. They're having a similar ascent as Marquette, and it was a down-the-wire basketball game that just a couple bounces didn't go Marquette's way. It's too bad, right? And I'm not... Not really that worried that they lost to that team. They fought all game. They came to the fight. They weren't scared of it. They didn't look sleepy. They didn't look tired. It was 11 a.m. start time on a Sunday. It was after a huge UConn win. There was no hangover in sight. Marquette was ready for the fight. And I think that's the part that I have to be appreciative of and know that this Golden Eagles team is really fucking good and really fun to watch and kind of must-see TV. Like, it bummed me out. That I was able, I missed not only the UConn game, but I also missed the Xavier game. I watched extended highlights after it. The UConn game was so fun, and you really can't take away from that win. Like I realized, maybe they won't be a top twenty-five. They should be. 
I mean, I think that UConn win should stand up to Xavier. If they don't move out, move around in the top 25, that's fine to me. Uh, they were extremely good in that second half against UConn. Really turned it on. I think Oso Aguidara showed himself as one of the best players on the team. I've been very high on Oso. I've had Oso stocked for a while. Uh, that stock sort of doubled, it felt like, against UConn. Uh, he was able to hang in with those big guys, not really be A, afraid, but was able to withstand doing that defensively, but then also contribute on the offensive end. That's sometimes really hard to do, right? You hear, remember the P.J. Tucker conversation uh, a couple years ago when the Bucks won the championship, P.J. talked about how you really, when you exert yourself a ton defensively, you can't really do it on both ends. And Oso was able to do that. And that speaks to how good Oso Iguodara is. And so really like that. I thought Cam Jones has had some really good moments here. Omax continues to look strong. Marquette's, Marquette's got a really good team. And now you play Providence on, Friday, on Wednesday, and boy, do you want to get them back. That is a huge revenge spot for Marquette. I, I will be wagering on Marquette on Wednesday night. I will guarantee that lock that in because I, I do think Marquette's kind of going to be out for blood. And also, it's the 2003 Final Four 20-year anniversary. So you have Dwayne Wade in the house, Steve Novak's there, Tom Crane, Ta- Travis Diener. I think they're going to want to show off for that. I think Shaka, th- that shit matters to Shaka. Uh, I think they had the George Thompson night against Baylor, and they showed out in that game. And I think you're going to see a similar energy, and it, it should be a packed house, should be full uh, for that game against Providence. Honestly, I have podcasting with Mitch that night, but I, I do think if someone was like, hey, do you want to go to a game? I, I might not say no. It'd be, I'd be hard-pressed on that one to, to say no to uh, Marquette Providence on Wednesday night. I'd be in the house for National Marquette Day, but it feels like I've been forever since I've been uh, in the in the gym for a game and would love to motherfuck Providence because that team just annoys the living shit out of me. Uh, they they are not as good as I think they think they are. I think their fan base is annoying. I think the hype around Ed Cooley is just really Ed Cooley does a good job of you know staying in touch with the media and giving them scoops, giving them what they need to be. So of course they prop up Ed Cooley. But yeah, I, I think Marquette's in a really good position. I'm not really worried about seeding just yet. I think we could probably do that as a weekly segment. Uh, later this week. I haven't, I don't know when the bracketologist stuff comes out. I haven't looked at it too much. This is right around the time where we start at least having that conversation of where, where it could end up. And February has been a rough month for Marquette in the last few years. There've been a lot of demons there. And so knowing that the, once that calendar turns, can Marquette finish is, is a, is a conversation we, we definitely need to have, uh, but not for, not for today or, or this week. As for Wisconsin, the Wisconsin Badger basketball team, it's been rough without Tyler Wall. It's it's crazy they've been so bad without Tyler Wall. Tyler Wall, obviously the star player of their team, it would probably be akin to either Oso or Cam Jones being out for Marquette. Uh, but got to figure out a way to win without without your best player. And Greg Gard has to at least feel a little bit of pressure. It feels like every year we talk about Greg Gard in the hot seat because they have these swoons. And it, it just, I don't know why Wisconsin goes through these sort of periods and then they, they revive themselves and they're all right and they're in the Big Ten conversation. But with what Luke Fickle's doing on the, on the football side of things, there has to be some internal conversations about could we pull this off with the basketball team? Could we, could we do something similar? Whether it was Tony, throw money at Tony Bennett. What, I don't think Sean Miller would leave Xavier after one year, but Sean Miller has some connections to the Wisconsin program. Uh, there, there would be a lot of other guys that I think would be in that conversation and you know, younger coaches, you know, in the Midwest, and you know, make that move and try to see if you could, you know, elevate yourself and get yourself in a better position. 
going forward. But you're also competing with Texas. You might have to compete with Kentucky. There's talk of John Calipari potentially leaving there. And the Kentucky stuff has been weird. So I, I don't know. Maybe it's not some not a conversation. I I really don't think we're having that conversation unless it really gets ugly for Wisconsin. Uh, and I, I don't think we're there just yet with the Badgers. We'll have to see. It'll be an interesting week for them. I don't know who they play. Again, I, I, I'm not going to pretend to you that I... I keep tabs on on, on Wisconsin basketball because I, I don't. Uh, and I would love to do more. I'd love to, you know, have a guest every week. Talk. We've talked. I've talked about this before. Uh, but you know, no one's no one's reached out. Uh, the area of opportunities there, man, it exists. So as for Wisconsin, here I, I looked it up. I went on Ken Palm. They play Penn State at home, and then they go to a tough Northwestern game on Saturday. Northwestern's uh, sneaky, sneaky, all right. So they've lost three straight games. They're three and three now in the Big Ten. They could get, you know, kind of right the ship here. But, yeah, it's not it's not going to be easy. The Big Ten's good conference as it always is. There's not a lot of easy games. Minnesota's really that that one easy opponent. Everybody in Nebraska, I guess. But everyone else is top 50-ish in Ken Palm other, other than Minnesota and Nebraska. UWM's rolling right now. Uh, that's cool. They lost the right state. So they're, I think, out of the top spot in the Horizon League. But it's cool to see Milwaukee playing better. Uh, I, I don't really have any sort of, I guess, annoyance with them. I Their fans chirp a lot about how, oh, they're better than Marquette or they'd play Marquette, whatever. That's that's same old bullshit. That's been there forever. I do think, you know, that seems like a shock of thing where if we could get the Milwaukee-Marquette thing on the books yet again and have a couple games, why not? But you, you also have to remember, UWM doesn't play... Wisconsin either, right? Wisconsin doesn't play. Wisconsin, I think, plays one Horizon League team. They kind of do Will Ryan a favor, who's you know coaching that awful Green Bay team, and that's sort of it. But we'll have to see. Uh, so yes, it's good to see Milwaukee succeeding. It'll be interesting to see if they can keep this up uh, and you know be in that conversation of potentially a tournament team. It'd be be something. It'd be kind of something else to go from last year that we had two tournament teams to go actually get all three in. Uh, would be a lot of fun. I mean, that's that's always good. It adds to the excitement of March Madness, and that's that's never that's never a bad thing. All right, that does it for today's show. It was a long one. I'm glad to be back. I'm excited to be back. I hope you guys enjoyed today. Uh, we'll get this up much earlier uh, tomorrow, and as the days go on, I'm really trying hard not to do uh, morning of podcasts, even though I do sound, I think, sometimes a little fresher. But yeah, uh, I realize uh, hopefully you guys who are working and things like that, you'll be able to enjoy this or enjoy it tonight uh, when you're hanging out at home watching Bucks Bucks uh, Dallas. Back tomorrow, we'll talk about Bucks Pacers. Probably talk a little bit about Bucks Dallas uh, and anything else that comes across the wire. All right, take care, guys. Have yourself a excellent Monday. Uh, also, happy Martin Luther King Day. Uh, make sure that you're doing something for your community um, and remembering the words of Dr. King and uniting your communities as much as you can. All right, take care and have a great day. We'll be back tomorrow. See you. Bye.